Hey, everybody. Welcome to ADD Masterminds. I'm Bridge Lebois, and I'm here with Paul Edgar. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to ADD Masterminds, Paul. Hi. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Man, um, I've been thinking a lot about propaganda. Um, I, the rapper? Uh, or the, have you heard of the... Edward Bernays? Mm, yeah, the name sounds familiar, but remind me. Edward Bernays is like, I think he was in advertising, basically, but he wrote a book in 1929 that I'm reading right now. And it's all about propaganda. And he kind of like starts off by saying propaganda gets a bad rap. And he said, like, for example, if somebody were to buy a, ma a mattress, um, they're not going to test out every mattress. They buy into whatever propaganda there is about mattresses as to which one's the correct one or which one is the best one, right? And basically, mm. it's like without even getting political, it's like there's propaganda about everything. And it's like yeah. anything you purchase, you're just believing propaganda. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that propaganda is in more corners of the world than we probably would like to admit. That's probably true. Well, I mean, like, and this is kind of one of those things when people talk about do your own research, it's like, well, I'm not going to sit here with a test tube, you know, test tubes and do the actual research. It's like you're actually reading propaganda and deciding which propaganda you like best. That's kind of what it all boils down to. So everything's propaganda. I think so. But I think that you can get, I mean, I think yes and no. Because, like, you decide which propaganda you like best. I think that's probably true. Like, I mean, the everything's dualistic. But, like, politically, it would be, like, left and right. But it could also be for other things. Like, oh, you're in this camp or that camp. And you choose which propaganda you like. But there are such things as more unbiased sources. Those are just harder to come by, right? Yeah. But I, I guess I, I maybe with the like the point of the book, too, is like he's talking about how there's like a school of propaganda. Like there was like there was a school where they educated people and they literally called it the school of propaganda. And it's like the term propaganda is like you're propagating information. Mm -hmm. And so it's not always necessarily that someone has an angle so much as it's propagating information. So yeah i guess that would kind of be like a redefining them because like if you i just yeah. googled the definition so if you just google propaganda it's information especially of a biased or misleading nature used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view that's definition one so that's uh, how we did define it in modern times and maybe right. in 1929 he wasn't defining it that way i don't know it's an interesting book i think no i think it's that's surprising how, how good a read it is for how old it is i was like this is easy to read yeah, I think it's yeah. probably how they defined it in 1929 as well, except he was probably redefining, you know, like you can take a term and you can redefine it. So I think he oh, was probably sure. kind of flipping it on its head. I would assume. I don't know. I'd have to read the book, but that's it. That's interesting. Have you read um, Jonathan Merritt's um, Learn to Speak God from Scratch? Yeah, I like Jonathan Merritt a lot. Because it was really interesting because he talked about how like words get fossilized within religion but outside of religion they don't get fossilized and they're dynamic and word meanings of words change over time and so he kind of proposed doing that with some of our christian language 
I mean, even, yeah, even within the church that happens as well, but he was talking specifically, I think that book, correct me if I'm wrong, it's been a while because it came out a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's about, um, is about talking about like this quote unquote sacred languages, right? Like certain liturgical terms that stay. Yeah. 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 But I mean, it was even as simple as like he moved from the Bible belt to New York and he said to like a bunch of, a bunch of people on the street, I'm assuming on the street. That's how I pictured anyways. And he's like, I really want to find a worship service. And they're like, worship of what? Right. <laughs> and so there's just a lot of contextual stuff that we use within Christianity that like, normal Uh people wouldn't necessarily understand but it's also kind of like well to fossilize a language doesn't make sense either it's like do the meanings of some of these things change over time yeah i think language is inherently dynamic and it changes over time inherently dynamic i like it you have the best words thanks man what's your education paul what's your education background i am a bible college dropout oh (laughs) what bible college I went to a conservative Bible college in North Georgia called Tacoa Falls College. Tacoa Falls. Are there falls there? Yeah, beautiful falls. Taller than Niagara Falls, actually. Not as wide, so not as famous. But oh. that's Tacoa, Georgia's claim to fame. It's, the waterfalls are tall. It's beautiful. It's really pretty when it snows, which is rare because it's North Georgia, so it, doesn't, it snows maybe like once every two seasons, but it's really pretty. It's like, pretty around as well. Tacoa, so it's it's named after the region, right? Have you have you heard any like weird name churches? Like, have you been places where you're like, that's a weird name for a church? I mean, yeah, I'm, probably. A lot of churches have weird names all over the place. I was at uh, uh, I was at this place, uh, Vernon, BC, and they had like a sign that said, "The Church of God in the Bible." <laughs> it was as opposed like... to as opposed to the god outside the bible yeah <laughs> i like it i like it you know it's pretty every town you know every town and city has like a first baptist like first baptist of atlanta first baptist of houston first baptist of la like i'm sure that there's first methodist church as well but i i feel like it's more predominant first baptist church um and yeah like i said there's like first methodist sure but baptists are the only ones i know that <laughs> They also do second Baptist. Do they? Second Baptist, yeah. All like especially big metropolitan cities. Like there's a second Baptist of Atlanta. There's a second Baptist of New York. There's We're a, number two. Yeah. <laughs> They're the only like several denominations I think have first Baptist or first Methodist or first Pentecostal or whatever. But Baptists are so egocentric. They're like, well, we're the second. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. I mean, like, I wonder if anybody's gone for third. Like. I've never seen a third Baptist, but I'm sure like, it exists. Like, come on, guys. We've gone second. We could go third. <laughs> uh, the the funniest is one of the... So my dad's a pastor. One of the churches he was on staff at was uh, Flint River Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, uh-huh. which it, at the time when we were there, it was like a larger, like borderline, like non-denom church, but technically like... They changed it from Flint River Baptist Church to like the river. That's what it's referred to now, the river. Um, and it's named after Flint River, which is a river that runs through Alabama. And it was a small Baptist church that outgrew its building. So they got this huge like new facility with like a much larger worship center and all that stuff. And like 
like like 95 percent of the church left but five percent stayed they're like no he's growing too big and they're like not following god on this so they stayed in the old tiny building and then renamed it from flint river to the first flint river (laughs) which i think is funny (laughs) well there's kind of been a movement too like towards churches having like non-church names yeah yeah like maybe so people like will come and not know that it's a church i don't i'm not sure I was having this discussion with someone a few months ago, one of my buddies, um, and you know my background, I've been in and out of ministry as like a youth pastor and worship leader. And uh, this is another ministry friend who's out of it now. Uh-huh. We still, we laugh about like, the, one of the things we noticed, we're like, there's a lot of, or he brought this up and I didn't realize until he brought it up. He said, there's a lot of our names in these churches. And I said, our <laughs> names, he's like, yeah, like, renovation restoration uh reconciliation <laughs> and i was like there are a lot of our names <laughs> restoration reno- these are all in atlanta just atlanta churches renovation church restoration church um uh reconciliation church reconcile Ooh. church uh-huh. uh renew i think is a is another one redemption church a lot of our names recycle church I haven't heard of Recycle Church. Is that a real one? No, no, I just made that up. That's... I mean, there's Renovation Church, so there might as well be Recycle Church. <laughs> it's like Renovation Church, ironically, is always under renovation. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> what? Okay, I, I'm wondering what uh, Mark Driscoll's church's name is now. Does he, he has a church in Phoenix now. Mm, Scottsdale, yeah, right outside of Phoenix. Scottsdale, Arizona. It's called the uh, the Holy... No. It's Trinity Church. It's just called the Trinity Church. Oh, okay. No holy. It's like no, only Catholic churches Trinity do church. holy, right? I don't know. But <laughs> it's called the Trinity Church. Driscoll jumped ship. He had Mars Hill Church. And he was like, we're a family. And it was like grew to like 15,000 people. He's like, we're a family. And then as soon as he was going to be under put under church discipline, he left like a deadbeat dad in the middle of the night to go get cigarettes and never came back and just hopped one state over and started the new church. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. So, like, he had, like, oversight. No, he didn't. Did he have oversight at the church he was at before? Like, yeah, this whole was, idea of holding... He was a senior and, and founding pastor. But, it, you know, like, pastors are supposed to have accountability. Yeah. So, when the church started, Mars Hill Church started in 19, I believe, 1996. And it was, it was a stat, like, it had, there were elders. There were actually, most people don't know this, but there were multiple, there were three senior pastors at the beginning. And then Driscoll did this thing where he kind of, he just rewrites history over time. Like for a while, it was just like him and the other two guys, but then he got really big and then they kind of got edged out. And then it turned into, it started as a Bible study in my living room. And I was, me and my wife, Grace, we found it. Like he just kind of wrote these other two pastors out of history. Yeah. Um, and when it, even when they got edged out, there was still, but he kept redefining and restructuring church government to where he really had he had little to no accountability, but it was still there. And once people started stepping in, like it was 2013 to 2014 is when it started, kind of started imploding. And that's when, you know, he, he bought, it came out that he bought his way onto the New York times bestseller list, right. hundreds of thousands of dollars of tithe money. And then yeah. he was on another radio show. Janet Medford radio host was interviewing him about his book, real marriage. And she was like, I noticed that you plagiarized from DA Carson and that became a whole thing. And it was, it, I for think one, I read that book. Yeah, I think I got it like free as an ebook, and I'm like, I'm reading this. Yeah, and then so 
once it got like all that stuff kind of it got to the point where there was so much stuff that then the other elders were like all right we got to step in and like benchmark and then he just resigned <laughs> he was just like i'm out and then he he spun the narrative of like oh i was spiritual warfare and we weren't supposed to be there and stuff and then he just started a new church it was also weird the thing about driscoll that's strange is that he went from he was like a very, very staunchly reformed guy, like Calvinistic, complementarian. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like that team kind of disowned him. And so then he's just like free will, Arminian, egalitarian. Like he's kind of done. Like he's he kind of gone. his theology after he left or when completely. did he he, huh. But now he's back to his old stuff. Like his, his sermons, I still keep tabs on his book because I just think he's yeah. fascinating and like, uh-huh. in an anthropologist sort of way like i don't watch this stuff because i'm like oh he's a good pastor i just watch him because like this is this guy's fascinating to me i love your anthropologist you know he's like i i've watched this person as from an anthropologist stance yeah he he's interesting to me he's fascinating so the 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 series he's going through with this church right now is on predestination and he's kind of flipped back it's like oh this is vintage mark like i remember this guy like he's taught he's back to like we husbands lead their their wives in in uh-huh. like a in a in a sexist sort of in a misogynistic sort of way yeah and he's talking about predestination again but when he when he when he flit like he started going the first time he spoke after he resigned was just a few months after and it was at robert morris's church in texas robert morris is like i was a, there yeah He's like a it big prosperity gospel yeah. guy. That guy's not reformed. <laughs> so like <laughs> that was the same guy that Driscoll used to make fun of, like in his sermons. Like he would like by name, he would list Robert Morris as like, yeah, don't trust this guy. He's like a Joel Osteen type guy. Like he speaks at Joel's church, Joel speaks at his, like, don't go there. And now he's like part of that team. It, it's just strange. It it strikes it strikes me as like, oh, okay, so he has no convictions as long as he has a platform. That's my in my vantage point. I think, you know, and that's kind of it, though, is like I become suspicious of anything that gets too big, you know, and ministry is one of those things, right? It's like when ministry gets too big, it's like, well, your incentives kind of change. And are you really in touch with your congregation when you're selling all these books and stuff, right? Like, it's just, I'm just inherently suspicious of that now. (laughs) It's like, well, this smoke and light show is a little too nice. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. And I think just for like, for anybody listening to this podcast, like I, I come from like a very Acts 29 background. I love Driscoll. Like Driscoll was my main dude. Like yeah. really got me into like reading the Bible and like studying theology and all that stuff. And I know people like, so I was on like, on staff at an Acts 29 church. So like I'm mm-hmm. in that world and I know a lot of people that knew Driscoll per- personally. I did not know him personally. I'm over on right. the East Coast. He's a West Coast guy. But like have been in the same room and like know, have a lot of same mutual, I was about to say mutual friends, but Driscoll doesn't talk to a lot of people that he used to consider friends. But the interesting thing, what just going back to what you just said of like, I'm suspicious of anything when it gets too big. I know a lot of people that know him personally, like for years knew him personally and know incredible stories. Like one of my buddies who was a worship leader for Mars Hill, Mark's church, like he was, he and, he and his 
uh, he was living like in the Driscoll's basement and wanted to, and then Driscoll was like, hey man, he took him out to dinner one night and was like, why haven't you proposed to like this girl he'd been dating? And he was like, well, I ain't I going to, I just have to save up for a ring. And then Driscoll just took out his checkbook and like wrote him a check for like thousands of dollars. And he was like, here you go. And he was like, no, huh. I can't take this. And he was like, no, really, I just made this money from, I just did a student life camp. I did a few student life camps this summer. This is the money from all those. And I, I've been praying about who to give the money to. Like I, a lot, of, I have a ton of stories like that. Hmm. And there is like, there's this, a lot of people I've talked to that were like on staff at his church or were close friends. And he doesn't talk to any of these guys, like this same guy that he bought the engagement ring for his wife. He doesn't even talk to him anymore. Like he's just like written him off. And he's like, that guy was a wolf and spiritual warfare and all this stuff. A lot stuff. of these people say something happened like eight years in or like, and I, I think it is as simple as like, there are a lot of things that just did like there, I think were good things, but it was mixed in with like, he was misogynistic in a lot of ways and like was very yeah. egocentric in a lot of ways. And I don't think that was kept in check. I think yeah. there are other people that, and we don't know about these people because they're not in the news and they're not because they kept it in check. I think like, yeah. And they're not like, it's just interesting. A lot of those people say, when you ask like, when did it change? And they're like, Oh, about eight, eight years. In. Like a lot of people say seven years in eight years in seven and a half years. in. <laughs> like it's all right around that mark. And I, I guess that kind of makes me wonder, like, is there like, you know, we always look at that kind of situation and be like, yeah, that's awful. And it's like, I would never do that, but it's like, well, I've never gotten big enough that I have like a press that I can believe, you know, like there's kind of, I, I, I think that at some point people can get enough accolades but that they get distracted by their own reflection you know and yeah. now it's like my fans have made me into this thing and i gotta be this thing yeah um, and i think with driscoll it was always there from the start like you can look back at the early stuff and be like that's kind of both like this is like two years in he's already saying shit doing stuff like this but it's like i think no one's perfect when they first and also the thing people got to keep in mind is like he started this church when he was 25 like mm -hmm. most people shouldn't be have no business pastoring a church when they're 25 <laughs> like that's crazy yeah well it's almost like child star syndrome right like because yeah, it's sure. like it's too much too fast and it's like yeah. what human being can handle that um and i i think i i mean i always say too it's like well um it's like different things become a possibility for different people and so it's like i don't even have the possibility that i could treat people like that no one would want to be around me Mm -hmm. i'm not a big enough deal right but when you become a big enough deal <laughs> it's like for whatever reason people are like oh it's part of his brand it's okay and so yeah um, and that was very much part of his brand too it was like like he would bully people and yeah. from the pulpit and like i was like a 19 year old kid i was like this is awesome <laughs> like, yeah it's like very void of like fruit of the spirit <laughs> like not a lot of grace and patience and kindness that's, and i think that's the thing that's scary with a lot of these movements you know and it's like it's good to be i i get you know people want to be bold but it's like when you're devoid of fruit of the spirit that should be telling yeah you can be bold and still have humility Absolutely. So um, it's kind of funny because we talk about like, uh, I've read um, Jesus and John Wayne. I think you read it too, right? Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. And so, I mean, like there's, there's Mark Driscoll and then there's James Dobson would be another one. And um, I, I, something that kind of struck me as funny, and we had this conversation before, is like this idea of like plugged in. 
and just how like I mean, first of all, I guess we could say that um, Jesus and John Wayne really goes into how Christian culture was influenced by media. And it's like, mm -hmm. it was like, there was this media, um, you know, books and Christian music and Christian television, I guess, where, you know, like they were trying to kind of like appeal to the broad base of Christianity. So it kind of transcended, um, you know, denominations but it also ended up starting to steer the ship for all of christianity and uh, i think like focus on the family has been a big part of that like i i remember my parents were so big on them um and uh, one of the things kind of find funny is like this whole plugged in thing it was like this organization that told you what media is okay and what media is not okay and they would like watch all these movies and stuff like that and i mean this this goes further than that but like um, you know, one of the things that I remember them doing was Fifty Shades of Grey. And it's like, they literally watched that so they could tell us whether our kids should be watching it or not. I'm mean, like, I, I think they already knew we shouldn't be watching it, but it's like, could you imagine like? Yeah. And that's like talking about Pokemon and the family. That's like what Dobson did, where there's this clip you can find on the internet. Yeah, he's talking about all this porn he watched and like he went That's to like some crazy. venue and like paid to see like sex acts between three women and he's talking about like i watched this so you don't have to and it's so strange it's so bizarre and like yeah i don't know man like and then going back to the thing you said about like the jesus john wayne stuff like the thing i took away from that book was like how so much of Christian culture today, especially like in the 90s, early 2000s and bleeding into today in 2021 is, is not based on Jesus. It's based on, especially like Christian, like the John Eldridge, like Wild at Heart stuff. And these- Which I loved by the way, at the time. <laughs> yeah, at the time I really liked too. And that, yeah. and she made a good point, Dr. Dume who wrote that book, made a good point where she says, but these books, and this media that was like influencing Christian culture, while it hard doesn't talk that much about Jesus as much as it talks about William Wallace from Braveheart yeah. <laughs> or John Wayne or like these, yeah. like we're finding our, we're finding our masculine, like how to be like, like the, like the foundation for biblical manhood and womanhood and like Wayne Grudem, John Piper, all these people, it's like, they're not talking as much about Jesus, which would apply to everyone. It would apply to men, women, children, yeah. adults. It's like this specific um, hyper-masculine, I would define it as like toxic, like mask, like toxic masculinity. But it's like, mm -hmm. it's looking for the example and like Roosevelt and John Wayne and William Wallace. And like some of these are people, some of these are, some of these are real people. Some of these are fictional um, characters but either way it's like wait why don't we just look to jesus and then jesus it's well because that doesn't fit the brand of like william wallace and like this in your face aggro aggressive version of masculinity because jesus was meek and and yeah he did he made a whip and stuff but like that was always towards the church it wasn't it was just different like jesus was yeah. Jesus said the meek shall inherit the kingdom of God, stuff like that. There's a there's a lyric from a um there's a band called Showbread. There's a lyric I love Showbread songs. so much. Yeah, and one of the lyrics for their song called Um I'm Afraid That I'm Me 
um, the bridge is blessed are the meek succumbs to might makes right turn the other cheek succumbs to preemptive strike love your enemies is fossilized beneath the frozen tundra blessed are the poor in spirit devoured by god bless america wow. and that i think that really like that's a lot of the ideas i was getting when i read jesus and john wayne like especially mm. that last part like blessed are the poor in spirit devoured by god bless america like that's like oh yeah jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit not like god bless america and like red white and blue everywhere and like we are god's chosen nation there are people like not not fringe people there are popular christian speakers that believe preachers and authors that believe that um, the united states is the new israel it's bizarre yeah. it's very not meek and not poor in spirit at all so we're doing the opposite of what jesus said yeah, it's crazy it's crazy well it's funny because I, I saw dan coke tweet earlier today remember when christian christianity was about jesus and i'm like i I got to say, in my lifetime, there's been so many things that have become more important than Jesus in Christianity, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, we just keep going through different fads of like things that we're going to be fixated on because I know, like, I, I feel like as a kid, you know, you could sense that the adults were spending a lot of time looking at other Christians and kind of saying, is it okay? Are we okay to do this? You know, and the other adults are like, yeah, yeah, that's okay for a Christian to do that. You know, like, it's like, there was just kind of like this peer Christian peer pressure. And I, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's still that way in the Bible belt, but where I am, it's like, that's not really a thing so much. Like, there's not the same kind of peer pressure going on. I don't think so anyways. But it's, yeah. but I just feel like there's always been something that kind of supplants Jesus as the focus of Christianity. There's so many ways for us to get distracted. And I think, you know, the love of our neighbors, you know, is, you know, like, I understand that, but it's like, do those, how far does our love for our neighbors go? And it's like taking care of our own family and then take care of the next door neighbor and then just keep ratching out. Right. And I think it's very easy to get kind of stuck on your own nation. And, and forget that there's, you know, the rest of the world too. And well, yeah, like Jesus was a refugee, right? Yeah. Like it's easy. It's easier to love your own family or it's easier to love people that you choose to love. Like we choose our friends and we choose our, like our chosen family. Mm -hmm. It's hard to love people that are, are difficult to love. And well, it, and that's, and that's it too. Right. Cause like we become very tribal and like, even, you know, like uh, I was going to, Actually, we'll skip to this. Um, I was thinking about like, I, I, I made a TikTok that I titled Stupid People and it might've been a bit of clip, clickbait. I, I got more attention than I've ever gotten on TikTok. I got 15 comments, it's amazing. But wow, um, <laughs> yeah, wow. John, John, you are blowing up, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it was just kind of interesting because like basically what I was saying is like, whenever I hear the term stupid people, I understand that there's a group of people now that you're referring to that have nothing to teach you. And I'm like, that's problematic um, because now you've got kind of your echo chamber of people that are not stupid, right? When in reality, if we actually, you know, took the time to hear each other out, you'd be surprised to find out that pretty much any person you ever meet will have something to teach you. Yeah, I think that, I think, 
the majority of what you're saying is true. I think where you reach some rocky terrain is like, I'm just going to pick like an easy one to pick on instead of like the more, <laughs> the, it's, it's more nuanced than this, but the rocky terrain is like, so like, just talk to, I, yeah, they're part of the KKK, but just talk to them. That's when it becomes like, wait a minute, there's a certain point where, you, you have to be like, no, I don't accept like, well, I, I certainly like the KKK person. I wouldn't expect them to understand race better than me. But right. like, well, dude, I mean, my, like it, any sort of like bigotry, I think it it's fine to be like, I'm not gonna, this isn't a relationship. I'm I not going to endorse from. what they have to say for sure. Um, it's also, I, don't know, I think though, isn't it the black, black Klansman? There's like there's a guy who befriended a bunch of KKK people and basically turned them. I think he was he was a black guy. Yeah, that guy, uh, Daryl. Right? Isn't his name Daryl something? I think I think it is Daryl. Yeah. This guy deserves a shout out. This guy's a really cool guy. Uh, I just typed. I just googled Daryl KKK guy. <laughs> Daryl Davis. Daryl um, Davis. He's a musician. He's like a really, he's actually a really proficient, um, like uh, very good jazz musician. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, he's, he has a bunch of KKK robes from people he's talked to. So yeah, I guess that would be kind of to your point. But I, he also never was like, I'm going to learn from you to the KKK people. <laughs> he, more to my point, he was like, nah man like i'm a black dude and i we have more in common than you think and i i don't mind hanging out with you and talking to you if you'll listen and yeah. he's just like a very like gifted guy to where people were intrigued like why is this black dude spending time with me when i yeah. he clearly knows i'm part of the kkk so yeah that's that's it. a fascinating story and that's very christ-like i always i always find that fascinating too like um even you know when i see christ-like behavior from people and I, I don't know, like, is Daryl a believer? I'm not sure. But yeah, um, I believe so. Yeah. But I remember, like, there's times where I see people outside of the church that are more Christ like than people inside the church. And an example is Silver, Sarah Silverman. I remember there was, she's clearly not a Christian. She's Jewish. Yeah. But is she, is she actually a practicing Jew, though? Or is it like kind of like a cultural thing for, I, I have no idea. But, Anyways. I, think, I mean, her, her sister's a rabbi, and she. Oh, I didn't. Okay, she's I didn't at least she somewhat practice. Ready. She's at least somewhat practicing. But she's just, you know, she's typically more of a like crass comedian, not someone who comes off as religious. And I remember there was like an interaction where somebody was very, very nasty to her, and she basically replied on Twitter to that person saying, "You know, I I believe what you're saying comes from a place of hurt." And basically disarmed the guy that was very vicious toward her. And I'm like, huh, there's something to be learned from those who think they are the more spiritual ones, you know, like to, to watch that yeah. kind of behavior. And we see that so much outside of the church where we will see people exhibit fruits of the spirit that like we're not seeing <laughs> inside the church sometimes. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I think the only, so I would, yeah, maybe it's just semantics, but I'm pretty like, I'm a word person. So sometimes people use certain words. I'm like, I don't think it's quite that. But if what you're trying to say is like, yeah, if we would, 
I still don't think it's the same thing. Like Sarah Silverman didn't to that person wasn't like, hey, let's talk. Let me learn from you. Like Sarah Silverman stood her ground and was like, I think like she you can be kind without. I think that's what it is. You can be kind without giving. It's hard because I would say the majority of the time it it is like humble yourself and listen. That's the majority of the time. But when someone's being bigoted or vicious or attacking, right. Right. you don't need to you don't need to devalue yourself as a human in order to make like you don't need to give that person further like validation or no. like listen to them. But you can yeah. you can still be kind to that person and call it like I think you can call those people out for their for their BS without without listening like you don't have to be like here tell me more about that like you can be like yeah hey, I think I think that what you know this is from a place of hurt or like what Daryl Davis but did I think like let's hang out and I think you'll find that I'm more of a human than you realize like those sorts of things I would say though in both cases that came from a place of empathy and that place of empathy requires that somehow you do either learn from that individual or you've understood from similar individuals by you know, being willing to learn, right? Because it's like, if we don't even think about that person, where they're coming from, we can't, we can't empathize, right? We're just like, oh, yeah, I, I guess just, it's that just... person's horrible, right? So I think there's a certain level of learning that's required to have it. Right, that's what I said, like, it, you can still be kind without listening. So like, when you say like, you're, I'm with you, and then I'm like, then I push back again, because you're like, you can still learn from that. But I'm like, no, you don't have to say you can learn from that person, but you can have empathy, like being kind and having empathy, I agree with. But I don't mm. think Sarah Silverman or Daryl Davis is like, I'm going to learn from like the KKK or this person that's being misogynistic and attacking me as a person. Like, you know, they don't give credence or validation to, to that because that's hateful. And that's no, bigoted. and I, I don't think you give credence and validation to any idea that's deplorable. That's so let me ask you totally. this. Do you, right, exactly. So you like, you're, I think you can, you can give empathy to virtually everyone. You can give empathy mm -hmm. and kindness to everyone. Do you think you can give? It, don't I, I guess the way I would phrase it, like, don't you think that you could you could draw a line and be like, I'm not going to like learn from this person because like, yeah, because it's hateful or it's bigoted or it's rooted in, in hate and evil. But I'm still going to extend empathy and kindness. Like, don't you think you can do that? Yeah, well, I'm not going to get to the same level of that racist or that person that's being misogynist toward um, Sarah Silverman. I, 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 I would like, I want to make sure that I'm not condoning that behavior. Now, if I can yeah. talk them down and they're like, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I was like that. Now I can learn from them. What do you mean when you say you can learn from them? Though? That's the part where it's like, what well, does that mean? Well, I think... I, 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 I think, think I don't if like you that sat phrase. down with the Klansman, once he figures out the error in his ways, he can tell you his story and you can understand how he got there. Because like, how does someone, how does someone learn this idea that one group of people is not as good as another group of people? Like, how did you even get there? Like, because I mean, like, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. Like, that but makes no these, sense to me. Right, but in these situations where Sarah Silverman is disarming this person, or Daryl Davis mm. is, a, he, he's challenging these people. Like, why don't you spend some time with me, and you'll find out I'm more human than you realize. Yeah. I think, I think, in both those cases, Sarah Silverman, Daryl Davis, they're the one extending empathy, but they're also 
reaching out a hand like you can you can learn from me like not mm-hmm. and it's not in a in an egocentric way or an arrogant way i think it's in a humble way because they're mm-hmm. putting they're putting aside like okay you're you're very blatantly attacking me just because of the color of my skin or the fact that i'm a woman or whatever, whatever yeah the guy on twitter what like but i'm gonna put that aside and I just, I would pause and the reason I'm, the reason I'm, I guess I'm being like, I'm, I, I don't know if I'm leaning too hard into semantics on this, but the reason I am that way is because there are plenty of people that are like, yeah, we should just learn from everybody. And it's like, those are the same people that it's like, why are you so upset? Like that these people are racist and they're in the KKK. You can learn from like, that's the part where it's like, yeah, that, there are people that actually believe that. And that mm-hmm. can be its own form of toxicity, I think. Well, and, that's, that, and I think that's the difference too. like, and I think like without, without getting political, when we talk about like free speech, that's what we get into, right? Is like, okay, well, should all ideas be heard? And I think that's why I'm more of an advocate for responsible speech. And it's like, let's, let's normalize responsible speech. There's no reason why I should go around saying things just because I can. It's like, I think, you know, the Bible talks a lot about responsible speech. It doesn't say like, you have the right to say whatever you want, right? (laughs) I guess maybe within the biblical narrative, it's a given that we are free to do whatever we want. It's kind of like, you know, Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. But it's like, as a believer, I want to advocate for responsible speech. Let's have productive dialogue. You know, let's, let's sit down, let's talk things out. But it's like, let's not just say things for the sake of saying things. The Bible speaks so many times against that. You know, this idea of like fruitless language and harsh language. And, you know, like it's, be careful with your words. I also think it's interesting because it's like, I'm, I'm fully on board for free speech. Like I'm, I'm against censorship. Uh, be, and the reason is because like, if someone's saying something that's blatantly they shouldn't be saying, like, th- yeah, I think they have the freedom to do that. But then I have the freedom to say, this is why that's wrong. You, I think mm-hmm. I've noticed a lot, like if someone's like men are superior to women or white people are superior to black people or whatever the thing is, then, <laughs> then when someone pushes back on that and they're like, well, what's, what do you mean by that? Let's unpack that because I think that's bl- not only blatantly untrue, I think that's hateful. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll then be the same person say well i have free speech like you're mad that i'm saying it's like well no, no no free speech means you can say that but then someone has the freedom to push back on you and let that dialogue happen i think which i think is it leans into what you're saying it's like this responsible speech thing yeah and i think the hope is that people are reasonable enough that we can take it in that direction i i think this always like kind of comes though at you know like to our belief, are, are humans basically good? Which is a whole theological concept because there's like total depravity, which is a concept I don't really understand because generally speaking, the people I encounter every day are trying to do something good. I, I'd say 95% of the people I encounter every day are trying to do something good. And there's that like 5% that are trying to screw you over all the time. As a um, as a recovering Calvinist, I think that someone who really bought into like this idea of total depravity, um, I think the problem is that 
I heard one time, I can't remember who it was. It was a pastor, I believe, that said, well, the problem is most of the people that say total depravity, what they actually believe is utter depravity. And I don't believe that because they're starting the story in Genesis 3, the quote unquote fall of man. But there's Genesis 1 and 2 before that. And in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, it says uh, humanity, man and woman are made in the likeness and image of God. So you can't like write that part out. So, I mean, to me, where I'm at now, I think that all of humanity is a mixture of like pure goodness and like we anybody can be fully good or fully bad i think like it depends Mm -hmm. on what you what you choose to give yourself into i think Mm -hmm. what do you think about that do you think people are do you think humanity is inherently good inherently bad or do you think it's a mixture I just think it makes more sense that it's a mixture. I, I think it's a mixture. I, I think like, and this is where like, you know, with all of my kind of my journey spiritually, I'm just kind of like, well, here's the thing. Like God is love and he's calling me to love. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I'm not love. And I need forgiveness and I need to get back on track. Like that's basically. And because God is love, he forgives you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good but way to look I, at it. But I, I think, you know, like at the same time, it's kind of like, well, God knows my heart too. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to just like, I don't know. It's kind of like the kid that slaps his brother in the face. And then his dad says, say sorry. Then he slaps the kid in the, you know, he says sorry. And then he slaps the kid in the face again. Right. And he just keeps doing it. And do, after a while, the father's going to just like take the kid out of the room and say, okay, you know what? You can't be with your brother because you keep attacking him, right? And it's like, you know, it's, so I, I think that there's some level of that too. Like God's not, God's not dumb enough to just be like, okay, well, you can keep abusing that person because you said sorry, right? And so I think there's a certain level of, I think, accountability that God will hold us to as well. Um, and we also live in a world where not everything is perfect and the butterfly effect results in all kinds of weird things and all kinds of injustices. And so it's not like a karma system where if you're good, everything will be good. Right. Right. So you wanted to talk about rednecks and hip hop. Yeah. I added that to the master list. Yeah. Um, because I think that uh, rednecks and uh, hip hop heads have a lot more in common. Oh. I think a lot of times like rednecks, it's like, oh, well, that's di- like white trash is very different. Like Southern white trash is very different than like a hip hop head who lives like in Harlem or something. Here's why they're the same. Both are very, they, they very much value their right to bear arms. They're very, they both <laughs> love their guns and want uh-huh. their guns. They don't like being told what to do. They don't trust the government. And uh-huh. And they all love hip hop. That's the other thing. Like, hip hop transcends. Hip hop is such an interesting thing because I never, I didn't grow up a big fan of hip hop. And then when I was like 26, 27, I was living in Atlanta. I was working in the film industry. And I'm like, in all these like very like um, hip hop centric places in Atlanta, like people be like, oh, you know, this is where Outkast shot this music video or whatever. And then I was like, I got to get into like hip hop culture. This is interesting. At first I just started studying it, but then I was like, oh, this is really like, I, I started digging it and I really like it, but it's not something, again, it's not something I grew up with. Like it's very rare that you find a genre of music that you get really into when you're like in your mid to late twenties. Cause I think most mm-hmm. people 
they find what they like in high school, whether it's hip hop or punk rock or classical music or whatever it is. And then that's kind of what you listen. That's your favorite. I really like hip hop now. And that's something I found later in life. But the interesting thing when I say hip hop transcends culture, unlike any other music genre, what I mean is like, you can, you find it in the places you expect to find it. Like in, you know, places like in these streets in Atlanta or these clubs in New York City or Harlem, like those places you expect to find it. But you also find it if you're in the backwoods in like rural South Georgia or Alabama, like in a trailer park with like all white trash people, they'll still be blaring hip hop. <laughs> and that's not something you can't go to those same, like you can't go to these places that's a predominantly black neighborhood in like a metropolitan area. They're not gonna be blasting Kenny Chesney. Like that's something, so it's very interesting. I just think rednecks have more and more in common with hip hop than they realize. I mean, they, of course they listen to it. We all know that, but they think like a lot of like, I'm using a lot of catch all terms, but like when I say redneck white trash, that's someone I grew up, I'm from Georgia, grew up in Georgia. I just have, I, I, I've crossed paths with a lot of people that would consider themselves rednecks and they're very proud of it. And they wave their, um, uh, Confederate flag and they're probably they're racist and they think certain things they would be they would be the type of people to refer to rappers and like hip-hop stars and celebrities as quote-unquote thugs or whatever and i'm like you have a lot more in common with them than you realize like going back to like the list that i just arbitrarily came up with of like you both value your firearm you don't trust the government like it's pretty interesting and that's totally it like so many times we find like there's commonalities Mm -hmm. i mean like it's funny too because like so hard not to get super political on this, but I, I, I've been thinking too about like even, you know, very conservative friends versus very um, liberal friends. And if you talk to both of them, neither of them like big business. So it's like, why are we, like, we all want small businesses to do well. So why are we arguing? You know, like there's, there's so much common ground to be found, but it's like, there's a lot of forces at work to divide us because there's incentive for us to be divided and at each other's throats. And that's kind of where our society's at right now. And it's like, this is silly. And yeah, it's, it's fun. And you shock people when you find common ground. Like even when I talk to people who, you know, are, you know, atheists, right. It's like, I could talk about, you know, my morality and we can find common ground because it's like, in the end, we all think love is a good thing. And it's like, there's just so much common ground to find between people if we actually look for it. Yeah, stand-up comedian Taylor Tomlinson said, uh, I really like her a lot. She's got a shout out to Taylor Tomlinson. She's got a special on Netflix right now called Quarter Life Crisis. You should check it out and watch it. It's really funny. Especially if you uh, grew up in the church or you're deconstructing, it's a very, very funny stand-up special. But she said once, I heard her say in a podcast that the first time she met an atheist that like was like, moralistic and had like a strong moral compass she was like you can't have both <laughs> like she was like i felt she was like i felt like it, when it's when you're in high school and there's like a hot girl but she's also smart it's like you can't have both like you can't, <laughs> you can't have a moral compass and not believe in god like i didn't even realize that was possible <laughs> but yeah leading back to what you said like there's more commonality than we probably realize totally um all right i actually i read this on twitter um i hope i wrote down the name right cat armis 
She said, what if pay attention to the log in your own eye isn't an in, a judgment, but an invitation to inner exploration? Hmm, that's good. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's kind of like, well, you want to you wanna pull the speck out of your guy's, your person's eye, but you need to pull the plank, plank out of your eye. And we always thought of that as a sick burn. But I'm like, man, pulling the log out of your own eye is such a good thing to do. Like, it's just such a well, good I think experience. It, I think it is also, it's very clearly accountability, but it doesn't have to be in a condescending way. But it is no. like, it is reminding you like, hey, accountability is a thing and i i think in a way it is it is calling out like you can you can call someone out without being condescending i think so it was still like jesus was calling out like hey wait (laughs) like you want to take care of yourself first because you got a lot of problems to deal with yeah um but i think yeah i think it's an invitation rather than a like rather than a condescending like burn yeah it can be both I think it can be both. Well, I mean, I think that's the great thing too about, you know, the Bible is that there's so many things in there that you can see so many different ways. And it's just, it's just so interesting. Like every passage, it's like, it can hit you differently each time you read it. It's, it's magic, man. Um, All right. So I was listening to, I think it's Adam Grant. He's got a podcast. um, And he was talking about the escalation trap. Um, It's like, you make a bad decision and then you're trapped kind of in this sunk cost uh, fallacy where you're like, well, I've gotten this far. It's kind of like the Vietnam War where it's like, well, we've invested this much time into this, this many resources. We can't turn back. I'm going to look like an idiot. And it's like you, it's almost like, and I mean, in a business sense, like if I had a project and that project is failing, that project is reflective of who I am. And so for me to admit that the project is failing means I'm admitting that I'm a failure. It's like that scene from Remember the Titans at the climax of the movie when they're in the locker room at halftime at that last game. And then uh, coach, what's the white coach's name? You know Remember the Titans, right? I've seen it, but I can't remember. Can't remember the white coach's name, but he's like, uh, he was like, I've learned a lot from you boys this season. I think it's about time that I admit it myself. I'm getting my ass beat out there. And he asked the black coach for help. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. So it's like being able to extract yourself from um, bad decisions is like one of the keys. Um, it's like, instead of saying I'm a failure, you could say this idea is not working. Um and that I, this is what I thought was a really interesting tip for this kind of situation is like, whenever you go into a project, you figure out what your kill signal is. So it's like, what is, it's like for you to continue this project, what is the gate? What is the one thing that has to happen to make it worthwhile to continue? It's almost like the difference between, I, I heard this from somebody that there's a difference between American um, nuclear energy, nuclear fission, I think it is, and Canadian nuclear fission. Because like American nuclear fission, it's like a reaction that just continues. And the Canadian one, it's like for it to continue, they have to keep supplying, I guess, the isotope to it. And so like we, like we're less likely to have a meltdown because we are continuously feeding it. And so it's almost like you need that gate 
into your project. Instead of just saying this project goes forward until something goes wrong, you're like, no, 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 no. There's a gate that it needs to pass through. Like, are we still achieving our financial goals? And that's kind of, you have to keep feeding it. I, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I have anything to say on this, but sure. <laughs> have you, have you seen the show Maniac on Netflix? No. It's got Jonah Hill in it. Jonah Hill and Emma Stone? Yes. <laughs> and it got like really freaky when there was like a seance. I'm like, okay, um, not everybody in my family is going to want to watch this. <laughs> Yo, but you know what I've been watching a lot of lately? What's that? The Andy Griffith Show from the 1960s. I have not seen it. Well, there's an episode where Barney, the bumbling deputy played by, brilliantly portrayed by uh, Don Knotts. Don he, Knotts is dynamite. That yeah. guy is great. So funny. He was so funny. Wait, so you've seen Andy Griffith. What have you seen Don Knotts in? That's I his biggest him, role. I saw him in uh, Apple Dumpling Gang. Yeah, and Three's um, Company. Three's Company, yeah um he did like they did this movie uh this this movie with um oh what's his name you know the um carol burnett show yeah and there was the guy who played as the dentist oh and he got his own show too right my parents just showed that to me recently like during the holidays <sighs> i forgot his name but anyways don Knotts and the dude from the carol burnett show like the dark haired like just ridiculous comedian um, did a movie uh, about boxing. I'll have to find what the title is. But, um, and and there's this scene where uh, it's just like this tearjerker scene, but the whole time, Tim Conway, it's Tim Conway. Yeah, Tim Conway He's had his own show. Yeah, have you, people ever have you watched the Tim Conway show? Because my parents literally just showed no, it to me like during the No, holiday. I haven't seen it, but it's like, so funny. Gosh, he's one of my favorite comedians. And so there's like this serious scene and he just starts crying. And I think it's about something happening to a kid or something like that. But he has like chocolate on his hands because he was eating like a chocolate bar. And he's like crying and he keeps touching his eyes. And there's just like chocolate all over his face. And it's just like, it's just great. It's great. Anyways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you were saying there's a scene of a se with a seance in Maniac. There's a scene in the Andy Griffith show from like 1964 where Barney he gets a tarot card reading set and also holds a seance it's <laughs> it's bizarre i just watched it and i was like how here's how the thing they get andy. away with this yeah, yeah i was like how they do this way back then but also the thing about andy like people are always like oh we gotta go like the term like going back to the times of mayberry or like people a lot of like the boomer generation will be like if things just need to be more like mayberry and it's like yeah the andy griffith show this black and white tv show is held up as like this pinnacle of like traditionalist yeah. nuclear family values. Not a single person on that show had a nuclear family. None, none of the main characters. Andy was single. Barney was Barney. Not only was single, he had two main girlfriends the entire show, Thelma Lou and Juanita, that he dated simultaneously. It's not like he dated Thelma Lou for seasons two to three, and then he did no. He dated them at the same. There are episodes where he gets in trouble because he's like calling one while he's with the other one, and none of them. So Andy, Barney, like Floyd the barber, Gomer, Goober, all of the every single person Thelma Lou, Helen like they were all single and then the only person who's married was Otis who was the town drunk he was the only person that was married <laughs> on the whole show so it's just really funny and it's like why is it like 
<laughs> it's really, really funny. And apparently Andy Griffith always wanted to get his character to get married. He was like, I think it'd be better if I had a wife. And Don Knotts always talked about it. He was like, he's like, so that I have a, it's not that I have anything against marriage. That would just write us into a corner. Like we would be like every other show on TV. There's so many different creative scripts the writers can write for like hijinks for Andy and Barney to do together. But if Andy gets married, it's not going to make any sense that he's hanging out with his single friend all the time. And like going on these trips to Raleigh and doing these weird things and staying up late and doing these things. I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Find the behind the scenes on these shows. So interesting. Hey. Um, Okay. So Maniac, they had like, uh, there was a scene where they said to somebody, one of the characters, do you want people to tell you what's wrong with you or have them help you discover what's wrong with you? I was like, dang. I don't know. I, I'm, I don't feel too strong about this, but because I, I think, I guess most people would choose like help them discover because then you hear it better, but I'm a pretty blunt person and I respond really well to people that are blunt. Like I don't respond very well to people that like beat around the bush, but if someone mm-hmm. like, like there's a particular pastor from my past who I'm still friends with, um, his name's Ethan. And he is a very blunt person. And some people, people would talk about like, he's not good at counseling and he's, he's some of the best counseling I've ever had because you're just like, look, he's like, this is your problem. You got to do this and this and this. And I was like, Oh, that no one's ever told me that before. Thank you. Hmm. And like, so I don't know. I think I, re- I think I'm weird and respond differently, but I think it depends on your personality type too. Right. Um, yeah, Cause I mean, I like so. I, I'd like to be the person people could just be upfront with, you know, like if people are kind of tiptoeing around me, it's like, well, what fun is that? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And I mean, like, I've always, I've always valued people that are very blunt. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm necessarily the blunt person, but I, like, I think I'm pretty bold with things too. I'm just a little more gentle. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Something else I was thinking about, um, I can't remember where I got this from, but it was like talking about how when people had good options, but they're not making good choices. I think like a lot of times we look at people and when they make bad choices, sometimes it's because their options are limited, right? But there's situations where people just have good options, but they still choose wrongly. And I'm not sure where I was going with that. I think I put that on the list a long time ago. So we can I think about. it depends on, again, like the other thing, like the thing about that, would, would you rather someone tell you what's wrong with you or help you discover? It depends on the makeup of the individual, like the, how the person, it, like the personality of the person, the, gen- the genetic makeup of each person. Because it's like what you just said reminded me. I don't think those two things are that far apart. Like it reminds me of like, there are these two, twin brothers and one like was abstinent of alcohol their whole lives and never took a sip of alcohol never drank was a teetotaler and the other one was a drunk and like mm. would like really struggled with like an alcohol he was, was an alcoholic and struggled with an addiction to alcohol his entire life and then when you ask the teetotaler like why are you a teetotaler he's like what do you expect my dad's an alcoholic and then when you ask the alcoholic He'd say, what do you expect? My dad's an alcoholic. So I think like oh, you get, crazy, eh? 
Yeah. Because that can go both ways. And I've, yeah. I, I've always struggled to understand that because I'm like, well, if, you know, if someone in my life was this way and I hated it, why would I be exactly like that person? But that's just so hard for me. To but understand. other people, lots of people are like, well, what do you expect? Like, it's in yeah. my family. Like, yeah. of course, I have anger issues. My dad did. <laughs> but yeah. then it's like other people are like, well, I'm, I'm going to run away from that in- and be the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which can be unhealthy, too. Because it's yeah. like, well, I'm never going to voice my opinion then. Because Well, I think with the someone who's like in anger management is like, no, I'm like, I'm doing my best to combat like this thing that's clearly in my family. Mm-hmm. Like there's a healthy way to cope with it for sure. But you're right. There's also an unhealthy way to run away from it. That's a great movie, by the way, Anger Management. With Adam Sandler. And, I feel uh, pretty. Oh, so pretty. I don't know that. I mean, I've seen that movie. But it's been years. <laughs> we, was it Foos Baba? Foos Baba. I don't know any you quotes from You don't movie. remember anything from it, hey? It's okay. Did you see Popstar? Yes, I did see Popstar. Okay, Popstar. I'm friends with, with one third of the Lonely Island. Are you? Yeah, because I worked for the, uh, I worked on Miracle Workers, which is the TV show that Simon Rich created. He's a writer for SNL for five years, Saturday Night Live. And Yorma Tukome. Yorma. Uh, Yorma, he directed episodes one and two. Oh, that's and great. Very nice, very nice guy. I sent him an email halfway through because I never had really that much reason to talk to him. I worked in the locations department on the show when he was in it. Um, so I was on like emails and stuff because I had to like, and I took him on like tours of the locations because that's what locations does with the directors. And um, so he was real nice. But then one day I just emailed him. I was like, hey, it's really weird that I get to work with you every day. And it, I'm really thankful you're such a kind person because I'm a huge Lonely Island. Like when I was in high school, that's when like the Lonely Island music videos were huge. Like yeah. uh, with like Andy Samberg and Yorma was in a lot of them for like, uh, for saturday night live like the all those those great yeah. music videos like i'm on a boat and dick yes. in a box and all those and um he like emailed me back immediately he was like oh my gosh this is great let's go get lunch tomorrow <laughs> and like <laughs> when we were broke like on set and usually everybody just goes to catering I, me and his assistant went and got lunch together and he just spent like a couple hours with me really nice guy that's so great anyway what were you saying about popstar um i like the idea of yes men and how like he like even just in the trailer, you could see that like he throws the basketball and he's like and they pretend that he made it. Right. Like and it's just like that idea of like, well, it's kind of like what we were saying, you know, like when you get big enough, it's like you can yeah, be surrounded a, by. Yes. Man. Yeah. It's a terrible like I don't like the idea of that. Yes, man. But they exist. But that is very bad when you surround yourself with yes. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you were talking about directors. I, I thought this was really interesting and I, I can't even remember which uh, director this was, but they said that they let the actors emote. Um, and if it's not up to snuff, they will come to them and say, maybe I'm wrong, but I'd like to see you do it this way. And so it's kind of like, I guess like management, you know, where you're not, you're trusting that these actors know what they're doing initially, giving them the benefit of the doubt and saying, here, you do the scene. And then if I'm not happy with it, I'm going to come talk to you and say, maybe I'm wrong, but could you try this? Well, I mean, like every great actor will tell you that 
the like that they have certain directors they worked with that got something out of the performance from them that they would not have thought of themselves. So like a director can, directors have the uncanny ability to look at something and be like, yeah, they played it this way, but I think it would be better if they did it this way. Hmm. Um, which is, but yeah, also, I think it, I think the, I mean, I worked in the film industry a little bit. I'm nowhere near an expert or anything, but as far as I can tell, the best actor-director relationships work when there's a mutual trust. So the director trusts the actor and the actor trusts the director. And it's not, they're trying to make the scene together rather than the director telling the actor like, you're gonna do it this way, whether you like it or not, or, or whether the actor is like, I don't give a shit what you say, like I'm the actor, like I'm gonna do it this way, like, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny cause that seems like a theme. Cause like, I was thinking, I was having a conversation too about this whole like, like even propaganda and how, you know, like you'd have like uh, leadership or even like, you know, you talk about media in general and they're saying, okay, well, we're going to tell the mass public this, but it's like, well, if they say something that the public doesn't want to hear at all, they're probably not going to respond the way they want them to. So it's almost like, like in teaching, I used to be a teacher. They talk about the zone of proximal development. And so there's like a certain zone at which you can stretch a kid in learning. And if you stretch beyond that, it's going to break them. Like it's not going to work. Right. But you have to get them to aspire to something else. Right. And so I'm just thinking of how that relates to like, when you talk about like um, nature versus nurture, psychologically speaking, and it's like, is it nature that made, you know, that guy an alcoholic or was it nurture that made him an alcoholic? And it's like, it's it, the real answer is both, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, what made this great film? Was it the director or was it the actor? It was both, you know? And it's like, there's kind of this magic. Everything is kind of synergistic. I almost feel like I'm like Matt, Matthew McConaughey in this, you know, a bit. It's, it's synergistic. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like a lot of these things have kind of these interrelationships and it's almost like it's a reflection of nature in the way that humans relate to each other. Pretty crazy stuff, man. Hey, I heard this somewhere. I think it was in a podcast or something, but um, they gave this idea that, that Peter was forgiven before he even denied Christ. And it was like, you know, Jesus says to Peter, hey, um, so before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But like, it's, it's going to be all good. <laughs> you know, it's like, like he wasn't saying it like, and I condemn you for that. And you're going to be rotting in hell for all eternity because of it. It's like the way he said it kind of implied. Yeah, I know this is going to happen. And it's okay. Well, I mean, I think in context, I, I don't think that's wrong to say he was forgiven, but in context, Jesus was like, Peter was being very arrogant, saying, like, I will mm. never deny you. And Jesus, was like, yeah, you will. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wasn't like, oh, everything's great. He was like, dude, just chill, like, sit down. <laughs> uh, the thing I find interesting about Peter is like when Jesus says, you will be the rock, which I will build my church. And then like 
you just keep reading for a couple of paragraphs. He's like, get behind me, Satan. Oh, <laughs> it's man. like, which goes back to what we were saying earlier, I think, of like, hey, man, we're all a mixture of good and bad. <laughs> are we going to listen yeah. to like the rock of the church within us? Or are we going to listen to the Satan within us? <laughs> well, that's that's it, right? Like there's times when we're on, we're on. When we're off, we're off. <laughs> and it's like, and we need, you know, kind of like Mark Driscoll, it's like Mark Driscoll needs that person in his life to say, get behind me, Satan. And I, I like the idea of having friends that are like, get behind me, Satan. What are you talking about? It's like, uh, the... yeah, I'm looking at, I've looked up that passage where he says before the rooster crows, uh -huh. Peter replied, if all fall away on account of you, I never will. <laughs> truly i tell you jesus answer <laughs> for the rooster crows you'll this only three times and the funny part is he says i even if everyone denies you i never and jesus is like listen before the rooster crows you will have denied me three times you will have disowned me three times and then but peter declared even if i have to die with you i will never disown you yeah it's so funny too because like we look at peter and we're like yeah what an what an idiot but it's like how much of that is us like how how are we reflected in that i mean it's the same thing the story of the children of israel and how many times they failed god and stuff like that and we're like man these people are dumb but it's like even even those people that we could write off as like well that's stupid or that's dumb and i think maybe that's what my point was is like we can learn from people who seem less than us by actually seeing ourselves reflected in them because it's like, well, I, I can be like that sometimes. And if I deny that I'm ever like that, I'm going to be like this forever. Yeah. Like the people who are like, I will never cheat on my wife like that. And then they're <laughs> like, they're in this big mess, like two years later, because they cheated on their wife. Like a lot, like I've just noticed a red flag whenever someone's like, I would never ever do that. And they're so adamant about it. It's like, Oh, this is like you're you're triggered like either you already have or this is a big temptation for you <laughs> well and i mean like it's it's arrogance and yeah. i'm like it's it's crazy to me just how much arrogance there is in people and i'm just like man like including yourself said, lord opposes the proud so it's like if you are a person who claims to be saved you know if you claim to be a christian there shouldn't be any pride there. Like, it's like God opposes you if you are prideful. So how can you have any pride whatsoever? I mean, like the very idea of like, well, I need a savior. It's like, well, that requires some level of humility. And so, and I mean, like that humility is what leads to wisdom. And that leads to the displays of the fruits of the spirit because it's like well you're finding that peace you're finding that joy you're finding that love like all of that flows because you actually surrendered something and you haven't decided that you have it all together and you have it all figured out and i feel like that is it's such a big component that is missing from a lot of christianity that i see Agreed. Hard agree. <laughs> well, thank you, Paul, for coming on ADD Masterminds. Um, 
you don't have any social media. So like if a listener wants to get in contact with you, how would they get in contact with you? You can email me at pauldanieledgar at gmail.com. <laughs> All right. So that, there's no um, periods or anything like that? No, no, just P-A-U-L-D-A-N-I-E-L-E-D-G-A-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, listener. Yeah. Well, thanks again. We'll do this again another time. Thanks, John. I should say before we go, I'm also single. So ladies, email me at pauldanieledgar at gmail.com. I'm 30 years old. So somewhere within that age range. Catch you on the flippity floppity. Thank you for listening to ADD Masterminds. We would love to keep you updated on what we're up to, as well as share some hilarious memes. We'd also like to hear from you. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. much.